Thanks for checking out the Lakeshore Podcast. If this is your first time listening with us, we want you to know God loves you. We want for your hope in Jesus to be renewed and for your faith to come to life. Wherever you are joining us from, we hope this message encourages you. I'm pretty excited about today's study. And if I'm being truthful, uh, we have, uh, we went through workbook number one in part as a setup to workbook number two, which by the way, will lead us to a workbook number three. And I'm, I'm, I'm doing my best as a pastor to take you guys somewhere that whether you understand it or not, you need this. I'm not, I don't say those kinds of things very lightly. You guys know me, but you need, you need, you need this. The Bible says we need it. In fact, the Bible's really clear. We're going to need this more and more and more the deeper we get into the last days. So in workbook number one, the, the whole series we're, we're, we're on is called Living an Empowered Life. And the, sub, the subheading there is understanding the importance of the person and the power of the Holy Spirit. So we went through a workbook and, uh, and, we, took, and we looked at the person of the Holy Spirit and found out what, what, what is he? I know he's a third part of the Trinity, but what is he and, and what, what, what is he really trying to do in our life and, and how personal is it, how passionate he is about it. And we got to know him as the third part of the Trinity in the same kind of way that we know God the Father and we know Jesus our Savior, we got to know some things about the Holy Spirit. Well, today we start a brand new workbook. If you walk by them on the table and you didn't grab them, they're absolutely free. And I'm telling you, this is not just shallow, you know, kind of uh, generic information. These are studies that are going to really help you to understand. But for the next few weeks, we're going to talk about the power of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to look at the New Testament. We're going to see what, what is spiritual power. We'll start talking a little bit about that today. We're going we're gonna to find out why the New Testament, starting with Jesus, is so adamant. I mean, so consistent, almost to the point that if we were to really translate it the way the Bible said, we would be a little offended because we're not used to that kind of vernacular. We don't, we're not used to people commanding, but that's exactly what happened here. The New Testament is adamant and insistent that we are empowered by the Holy Spirit in order to live the way God wants us to. And then we'll talk, uh, we'll introduce how do you start receiving that and activating that power. Now, b- before we get any deeper into this thing, let, let me just tell you what, what I, I, I know full well. Anytime you mention power, it provokes reactions, right? Especially spiritual power. Anytime you say that, I, I said this in lesson number one, since we're focusing more on power in workbook number two, this is going to be even more relevant. Anytime I say we're going to talk about the power of God or the power of the Holy Spirit, I know absolutely 100% I'm talking to three different groups of people. I'm talking to one group of people that is just freaked out right away. Like, I told you we shouldn't visit this church. Why are we here? Okay, right away, because you've got some impression in your mind, or maybe you've had an experience that was just weird, or it was hurtful, and, and, the, and the last thing you want to do is you, you just don't want to engage this. Maybe you even grew up in a church that said, hey, listen, that stuff doesn't work anymore. It's in the New Testament, but it doesn't, it's not, not for today, so stay away from that because those people are crazy, and you might be here this morning, all right? On the other extreme, we have people that are just, they love power. They love the power of God, and that's not a bad thing. 
but they're just looking to say, come on, when, when are we going to just turn it loose? When are we just going to make this thing happen? When, when is this thing going to you know, kind of electrify? And the people that are over on this other extreme kind of get the picture in their mind, those action films, you know, where guys are sparking the jumbo cables together and saying, come closer, come on, come on, I'm going to get you, I'm going to zap you, I'm going to get you. And, and that's, not, it, that, that's not, neither of them are correct. And then there's this big group in the middle. And, and in my studies and in my time as pastor, I'm telling you, the biggest group's right in the middle. And it's Christians who don't go left or right. In fact, they've almost become apathetic. Like, eh, I can take it or leave it. Now, now, there are times in their life where they're desperate for it, where something's going on and they are begging God. That they're looking for somebody who understands anything because nothing else works and this is serious. God, please, please, please. So then they need the power of God. But otherwise, they're really just not that super interested in it and they'll, they'll kind of just stay in the middle. Now, here's what I said, lesson one, I'm gonna say it and then we're gonna get right into the study. Listen, it doesn't matter to me which group you're in. And I don't say that like, you know, like I, like I don't care, I do care. But for this study, it doesn't matter to me. If you're in any of those three groups, you're in the right place. And I'm going to tell you why. Number one, I'm going to make you the promise again. I will never put you in a place in this study where you feel awkward or you feel cornered or you feel pressured to believe or to do something that you don't, with all of your heart, want to believe and do. I won't. I just won't do it. So, so you're, you're not going to, this is a very safe place, right? Here's the second reason, because we're going to do our best our can, uh, the best that I can to go through scripture and to find out what did the Bible say about this? We're going to be very thorough. We're not going to get in a hurry. We're going to take step by step and we're going to understand what does the Bible actually mean? How does it actually describe the power of the Holy Spirit? And let me tell you why that's important to you, because if you get to the end of the study and you still don't, don't having budge. You're still in the same group you started with. At least you'll be confident about why you're in that group. If you don't buy into the power of the Holy Spirit, ah, that's just weird. At least you'll understand why you don't buy into it from the scripture, not because of what somebody said or how, you know, how it felt when you were in some certain context or what somebody did. You won't be blaming it on those kind of peripheral things. You'll come straight from the word of God. And listen, that's my responsibility as a pastor is to help you to understand what did the word of God say so that then you and the Holy Spirit can have conversation and you can work out your salvation between you and him. My job's not to pressure you to do anything. My job's to make sure you are really clear and you can hear from the Holy Spirit what did Jesus say and what's the New Testament trying to teach us. These books are absolutely free. I will not be able to cover all the information that's in these books. They are written so that you can sit down and read any, any of the lessons in about 10 minutes, maybe 15, uh, longer if you want to open your Bibles and really study. Uh, but very, very comprehensive, well, not, they're, they're comprehensive enough to follow, and they're also easy, they're practical, because I don't want you to get lost in theology, or in philosophy, or in methodology, I don't want you to get lost in any of that stuff, I want you to see how did the Bible lay it out, and how practical it is, they're absolutely free, if you're not a hard copy person, you can download those, uh, and find a digital copy, all right, all of that now, let, let me give you two things that I'm positive all of us would agree with. And that way we can all be on the same page. No more groups and, you know, I'm over here, I'm over here. Let's be all on the same page. Two things that we can all agree with. Number one, 
I think that at this, this stage in, in our world, in this culture, even across all of the generations that are alive in this culture, number one, I think we can all agree that we understand that power is important and power is real. And I'll tell you just why I can tell you that, because everything in our life is power-driven. Everything in our life is power-driven. I mean, we're, we're power-hungry people, whether we realize or we understand that. From politics, whether you're talking about you know, uh, um, uh, military power, or you're talking about Green New Deal, or you're talking about fossil fuels, and where do those things play, and, you know, and, the, and, the, and the, the, what's going on in our Earth's atmosphere, and it doesn't matter. All of these things are talking about what are we supposed to do with power? Let's bring it a little closer to home. What about the power that we need to energize our lives? What about the cost of gasoline? The cost of electricity. Right now, you know, there's, there's a news clips coming through that this, this winter natural gas will be more expensive than ever. What about those kinds of things that are helping us to produce and to transport and sometimes to warehouse and store so that they can be delivered and used all of the food and the products that we pay it, we're, we're dependent on, fully dependent on. Let's bring it one step closer into our own personal lives. What about your own vehicles? What about the appliances that are governing your home? What about the lights that you have? Everything's power. Everything is power, and we have to come to grips with it. We admit it. We haven't even talked about smart devices. We're not even talking about laptops and, and smartphones and iPads that we seem to have developed a very fast addiction to as a culture. I think I read a statistic that the average American can, can't put their phone down for more than a minute and a half. And they've got to check something. I mean, if something happening somewhere in the world, somebody's got a, something on Facebook or there's some news thing or there's some new YouTube video or some Instagram or come on, we got to keep up. Something's going on and we're glued to those things. But those things require power. In fact, I'll tell you, we're so addicted to power that we're not even satisfied with the power we have. We make sure that there are power supply stations and we have extra power supplies that we carry with us all the time. We make sure gas stations are everywhere that we're going to need to be so that there's no chance we're going to run out of power. We make sure that we have little batteries and chargers and all kinds of things with us because there's no way that we can take a risk that we're going to run out of power. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just the culture. Here's my point. In this day and age, there's no way that, that you and I can say, yeah, we just don't know about that power thing. It's kind of weird. No, it's not. We get it. And we understand power at every different level. We understand it's regulated. We, we get all that stuff. So there are certain kinds of power that are dangerous. They're unbridled and in, in the wrong hands with the wrong wisdom and decision making. Those things can be devastating. But we also understand those same kinds of powers in the right hand will allow us to operate at a level that is far beyond our natural ability. And we get it. We've accepted it. We're comfortable with it. In fact, down into the, you know, the preschool and the kindergarten years, I watch my little grandkids. Sometimes they're better on the phone and the iPad than I am because this is the culture they're growing up with, power. They get that part. Here's the second thing we know about power, and I've already mentioned it, and that is that I don't care what arena of power you're talking about, politics or, uh, or, um, or, or physical powers or energies that are you know, helping our lives, anytime you mention power anywhere, you get a reaction. 
Some people are super excited about it, super positive. We, we need more power. We need to accelerate that power. We got to get where we're going. We got to do what we're, we're doing. We need power, power, power. And then there's other people that are pushing back and they're very reticent. They're very cautious about power. Some of them are actually moving off grid. Some of them are saying, we, we want to minimize this thing. We don't want any more power than we need to. And they have various reasons for that. Some of it is dependency and some of it is how it's impacting their own life and their own family. And, but listen, you can't mention power without getting a reaction that's diverse. This is the world we live in and we understand that. We have to take that mentality with us because Romans chapter one tells us there are spiritual things that we, we have a hard time pointing to. We have a hard time looking at, but oftentimes we can look in the natural world around us and we can see a parallel example to say, oh, this is how we're living in our natural life. And I'm pretty sure that's what the Bible means when it says there is a comparison with the spiritual life. That's certainly true with spiritual power. It's not everywhere across the board exact, but you can get a good baseline. And again, in that way, we have more advantage today than any generation that's ever been alive because we understand power. We know that it's controversial. So what we have to do then, we have to come back and we have to begin to sort through and say, then what does spiritual power mean? Because let me tell you what you're going to find in almost the first few pages of the New Testament. Jesus starts it and every one of the apostles that write afterwards, they, they kind of keep it going. And that's this, in spite of the, 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 the diverse opinions, in spite of the variation of power, in spite of you know, all the ins and outs, the New Testament is clear and consistent and adamant spiritual power is essential. It's not an option. It's essential if you're going to live a Christian life. This was like fundamental 101. It was included in the basic kindergarten package for the New Testament. You have, you have to have spiritual power. And, and we're going to grab a verse here out of Ephesians chapter 3. Let's read this together. It's a theme verse. We'll start with it and we'll end with it. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20 says, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we can ask or think. Stop. That's describing God. And I've never met a Christian yet. I don't care where they fall on that scale. I've never met a Christian yet that doesn't fully believe that God in his sovereign power is able to do exceedingly and abundantly far above anything that you and I could ever come up with. How many of you would agree with that? Let me just see, be bold enough to raise your hand. How many believe that? Yeah, okay, about half of you. I think the other half agree. You're just still asleep, so wake up because this is a really good lesson, all right? Listen, that's just true. Everybody agrees with that. But listen, we don't always pull in the qualifier that comes next. He says, now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, listen, according to the power that works in us. Did you know that it's possible to be a Christian and you're in the family, you're connected in covenant, you have been given access to a God and to all of the resources that come from his kingdom that will bring you into exceedingly and abundantly far above uh, uh, results. But if you don't have any power working in you, 
That's kind of like having have a, you know, a 21st century house and it's wired for every modern convenience. I mean, you've got outlets and ports and, and chargers and things everywhere right at your fingertips. You just don't connect it to the electric company. And so here you are in the most modern house ever. And at nighttime, you're walking candles around and trying to heat up your food, you know, with a little campfire that you've made somehow in the yard or whatever, because you're just not connected to the power. I'm telling you, and Paul's going to tell you a little later on, there are Christians today that are born again on their way to heaven, but they're living off grid. They're living in a virtual power outage. And it's not because they don't, they're not desperately wanting to see God do exceedingly and abundantly far above what, what they, they need and they're asking. It's they don't understand power. But here it says that according to the power that works in us, and then verse 21 goes on and gives him glory and praise for that. To him be the glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and forever. Amen. Listen to me. If that was the only verse in the whole Bible that we had to go on that mentions spiritual power for you and I as a believer, that's enough. How many times does God have to say it before you believe him? That's enough. We just need one verse. And that right there qualifies and says, according to the power that's working in us. So we're going to follow the workbook today. If you picked it up, again, it's absolutely free. Grab it, turn to page number five. And the first thing we need to see is there is a four-phase New Testament pattern that starts in the Gospels with Jesus and literally repeats almost through every epistle. If you're looking for it, like a Where's Waldo, you can kind of read through your Bible and say, one, two, three, four. Yep, there it is. One, two, three, four. Yep, there it is. One, two, three, four, over and over. It's a pattern that just repeats. And you need to see this pattern because I'm telling you, it's already happening in your life. And if you're weirded out by this whole power thing, or you're in the middle, like, eh, I don't know, you know, I just want to serve the Lord. I just want to love people and I just want to go to heaven. Listen, if, if you could begin to understand that the Holy Spirit's doing everything he can to get you connected on the power grid, if you can understand what this, this is really all about, and you can see this, then you'll, be, you, you'll, you'll develop an appetite to move forward, and this is going to help you. So here we go. We're on page number five, and the, here's the New Testament pattern. The first thing is the Holy Spirit with you. The Holy Spirit with you. Jesus talks about this in John 14. Listen to what he says in verse number 16. He says, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he, that's talking about the helper, may abide with you forever, in case you didn't know who the helper was. It's the spirit of truth, uh, whom the world cannot see because it, uh, the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. Let me just stop for a second. Jesus is talking to his disciples, has been for a number of chapters, about the fact that his ministry on earth is finishing up. He's going to have to leave to go back to his father, but he's sending them the Holy Spirit. And at first, they're like, What is that? I mean, they were like, ah, that's just weird. What, what even is that? And he's explaining to them workbook number one. He introduces them. No, no, no. He, he, you, you're going to know who he is. He's a helper. He's a counselor. He's a comforter. He's a partner. He's a friend. He's the one when, when he steps in, you go, oh, man, I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad you're here because I really needed you for this. That's, that's who he is. And Jesus said he's going to be just like me, so you don't need to, to, you know, to be concerned. Well, we get to John chapter, uh, to John chapter 14, and he says, I'm going to send this helper, and I want you to notice, he said, but this is a helper that the world, people that are not following Christ, cannot receive, as in not possible. 
And it tells us why, because it neither sees them, neither sees him, the Holy Spirit, nor knows him. But listen to this. He said, but you know him. Now, here's what he didn't say, but it's so strongly implied you can't miss it. He says, but you know him. And and he could have said, even though you can't see him either. Right? When Jesus was talking to Nicodemus, he said, let me tell you something about the Holy Spirit. He said, it's kind of like the wind. You can't really see the wind, but you can see the effects or the impact of the wind. And you can know what direction it's going and how it's affecting things. The Holy Spirit is like that in our life. We can't physically see him. So that's kind of weird, getting to know somebody you can't see. But we can definitely see the effects. We can definitely feel and sense his moving as he, blow, as he brushes across and blows across our lives. We can see and we can authenticate that. And so the Bible says the world can't receive him because they don't see him and, be, and, and, need, and they don't know him. But he said, but here's the advantage you have. You can't see him, but you know him. You say, well, how, how do we know him? Listen to this. He goes and says, but you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. Now, the tiny word with is really important. It's a preposition here, which really talks about something or someone that's in close proximity. So it's not talking about something we heard somewhere else. It's talking about when you say you were with him or with them, it's like, no, I was there. I was like right in the room. I was standing right next to him. I'm telling you, I'm not giving you secondhand permission. I was right there. That's what this word uh, with means. And Jesus is trying to help them to see that for three years they've walked with Jesus. And it's been a perpetual journey of oohs and ahs, like, oh, ah, oh, ooh, ah, because Jesus is doing miracles and Jesus is, is giving messages and teachings that are just mind boggling. There's so, there's so much wisdom and so much insight. It makes sense after all this time, religion, religion, religion. But now all of a sudden this makes sense. And, and the whole time, man, they could sense this and they would get out of every meeting and out of every service. Wasn't that awesome? I'm, I feel like my life was changed. I went in there. It's like, I didn't know what this was. And I walked out and I thought, this is great. And he says, yeah, you, you know him because he's been with you this whole time. Now, you know why it's important that every one of you, you hear that? Because I would bet in, in my time of being a pastor, people that are following Christ, 99.9% of them in informal stat, 99.9% of them, they can look back or point back to a time. You know what? I was in that one service. I'm telling you, man, God was in the house. I didn't want to go. I almost didn't go to church that day. But I went anyway, and when the worship started... I mean, like God was in the house, man, my ear, my eyes started getting red and, and wet and I started crying and I could feel that lump in my throat and there was such love, such encouragement. Can't see the Holy Spirit, but he was with us. He knew it. And Jesus was pointing out to them saying, you don't need to be afraid of this guy because listen to me, he's been with you for three years. I'm telling you as Christians, I bet every single one of you could look back and say, no, as much as I might say, I'm kind of freaked out about the power of the Holy Spirit. Not not really, because there's been all these times in my life where he was with me. I was right there with him. Nobody can talk me out of that. I'm telling you, man, that changed my life. That encouraged me. That healed part of my life because I was with him. But I want you to know the Holy Spirit's not content just to be with you. He wants to be in you. And that's what Jesus went on, went on to say. So here's number two. The pattern number two is once the Holy Spirit's with you, the next thing he wants to do is to be in you. 
And this is where we get in John chapter 20. Now listen to this in verse 19. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews. Let me just stop so you know what day this is. This is on the third day Jesus was crucified. He's been in the tomb. And on that morning, Mary Magdalene goes to the tomb. She's going to bring flowers and spices and say, whatever I can do. She's just grieving and she's hurting. And she gets there and the tomb is empty. And then somebody who she thinks is a gardener greets her and she realizes that's Jesus. And she takes off running back to the disciples and she's boasts through the door. She's like, I'm telling you, you're not going to believe this. He's alive. What? You're crazy. No, no, I'm serious. He's alive. He's alive. And a couple of the disciples just rushed out the door and they had a race to see who could get there first. This is that day later on in the evening when all the disciples are back together and they were assembled because they're hiding because they're afraid of what the political arena, what the religious arena is going to do. But verse number, uh, verse number, uh, we're in verse number 19, the bottom half, it says, while they were hiding, Jesus came and stood in the midst of them, and he said to them, peace be with you. Now that sounds really warm and, and really awesome. You know, Jesus just came and said, hey guys, just be at peace. If that were you, and three days ago you watched somebody die, and you watched them get buried, And all of a sudden, you're just kind of sitting around talking about, yeah, wasn't that fun? Remember that time? And all of a sudden, that person walked in. It freaked them out. He said, peace be with you. And it freaked them out. But I want you to notice this. It said, and when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. So you got to picture Jesus. He's saying, no, no, guys, look, look, seriously, it's me. Look, look where they put the nails and see that pulls up his robe. Yeah, look at this. You, You see, right? Remember where they stuck the spear right there? Look. That's it right there. Remember that? See that? And, and it said it eventually kind of they're, they're, they're coming out of the shock and they're realizing, boy, that really is him. And it said that they realized Jesus had, had been raised from the dead. Now, there's two things that are really important here. The first one is he showed them that this was really him, that he really was back from the dead and they believed him. And then it goes on and says, and then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So when they saw, boy, that's really Jesus, they said, man, he, he's the Lord. He is the Lord. And that's really important. But let's go on. Verse 21. So Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. Now they're not so shocked. Now they know it's really him. They can't understand how, but it's really him. Their Lord is come back from the dead. He's alive. And Jesus says again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And notice this. And when he had said this, as soon as he was done saying that, it says he breathed on them. And he said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Now in your workbook, those three words he, he breathed on is a really important word in the Greek language, partially because that's the only time in the whole New Testament that it's used. But it's used in the Greek translation, the Septuagint of the Old Testament at a very strategic time. In Genesis chapter two, verse seven, it says, and the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, listen, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And when he did that, man became a living soul. Now, let me take you back to the passage. We're gonna connect a few dots before we move on. 
when Jesus showed up and he said, peace be with you, and they were kind of freaking out, and he said, look, it's me, and he raised up his robe, and you could see where the spear stuck him, and he said, look, here's where the nails got me, and they said, uh, they said okay, 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 so it really is Jesus, and they believed that he'd come back from the dead, that he was, that he was risen from the dead, and then they were glad, and they began to loosen up, and they said, man, he's our Lord. Our Lord is alive. When they did those two things, it satisfied the New Testament criteria for someone to be saved. Romans 10, 9, and 10 says, if you confess that the Lord Jesus, you confess the Lord Jesus and that he's risen from the dead, you'll be saved. And so all scholars agree across the board. When they did those two things, when they realized he really was alive, he's back from the dead, and that he really was the Lord, they qualified for the new birth experience. And so Jesus breathed the new life of the Holy Spirit into them. And that's when the disciples were saved right there. And it's just like what happened way back in the garden of Eden, where Jesus gets down in the mud and he breathes into Adam's nostrils, the breath of life. And as soon as he did, Adam opens his eyes and goes, I'm alive. I'm alive. And he stands up. The two are mirrored. One physically happened, but the other spiritually happened, and it happened exactly when you, when the Holy Spirit's first with you, and you begin to say, man, I don't know, I don't understand all of that, but oh my goodness, that was, that was wonderful. I'm telling you, God was in the house, and you open up your life and say, I don't want you just with me, like from time to time, I want you to be in me and go with me everywhere I go, and you accept Jesus, the breath of the Spirit is breathed in you, and now the Bible says, the New Testament says, you become the temple or the house where the Holy Spirit lives. He was with you, but now he's in you. And it's really important for you to understand that because if, you're, if, if you've experienced those great services and you're a born-again Christian and yet you're like, well, I don't know, the power is weird, you're two steps into it. You are, you've already experienced such an incredible, life-changing uh, 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 transformation by the same power of the Holy Spirit because Jesus isn't done. He says, listen, now that you're saved, now that you recognize he was with you, now that he's come inside of you, he said, we got one more thing to do and that's going to lead to a fourth. He said, I need to get him on you. And this, you can actually see this in the language of the New Testament. It's not just in you, it's on you. In you, on you. If I drink a glass of water, it's in me. If I take a shower, it's on me. Not the same thing grammatically, not the same literally, but both are needed. Would you agree? And so Jesus says, now that he's, that he's been with you, now that he's in you, Jesus commands them in, in the third pattern, the third part of the pattern, he commands them, okay, now that he's in you, don't do anything else until he gets on you. And so we're going to read this in, in, in the book of Acts. We're in Acts chapter 1 now, verse number 4. It says, And being assembled together, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me. Well, of course, he was talking about it for like three or four chapters in, in the end of John. He kept telling them, The Holy Spirit's coming. He's the Spirit of truth. He's going to lead and guide you into all the truth. He's the comforter. He's the counselor. He's the partner. He's the helper. He was with you, but now he's going to be in. He's been talking about it the whole time. He said, Yeah, that's the one you heard from me. Verse number five For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit, not many days from now. We're skipping to verse eight for time's sake only, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon. There it is again, not in, 
but upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So I want you to see uh, when he comes upon you, as soon as he comes upon you, it enables you to then uh, let him come through you and you can be a witness. Let me explain that a little bit. What it's not saying is, as soon as the Holy Spirit comes on you, then you can do witnessing. That's part of it. But this particular Greek word is where we get the word martyr. Something happens when the power of the Holy Spirit comes on your life. When all of a sudden you've got all the internal wiring, the Holy Spirit's in you. But all of a sudden you connect it to the main power grid. And all the lights in the house come on. All the appliances start blinking. They're all working now. And you've got all the internet. You know, the, the, the routers are coming up. And they're, they're pushing the signal everywhere. Everything all of a sudden starts working. Now you have the power. It's turned on. And because it's turned on, you now have the ability for it to come through you to somebody else. And this is what he's saying here. Listen to me. You get to be a witness. Whether you do witnessing or not, that's a wonderful part of it. And the Bible says we're supposed to preach, proclaim the gospel, the good news. But even if you're not doing witnessing, your life authenticates that the power of God, the lights are on in your house. In a dark, dark world, it's like people driving down the street and they can see a little glow of a candle in all these houses because there's no power. And then they look at your house and all the lights are on. Something about it authenticates. We'll actually study what that means. But something about your life authenticates the power of a living God, even if you're not talking about it. But then you get to talk about it because your life actually authenticates it. And this is what Jesus said. There are lots of Christians who've invited the power of the Holy Spirit on them, but then have made conscious decisions for whatever reason not to let it come through them. Now, nah, witnessing's weird. Yeah, but what if I say that? What if people cancel me? What if they challenge me? Well, that's just part of the gig, right? Jesus said, if you're gonna serve me, you're gonna get persecuted. You are. You just, it's, just, it's just going to. But the, it's a reasonable risk with a worthwhile exchange because when you get persecuted, you're going to be able to, to lead other people to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, to an eternity in heaven, but not just that, to be with the Holy Spirit, then have the Holy Spirit in them, then on them, and their life can be forever changed as well. Let me kind of keep going here for time's sake, and we're going to get to three quick truths. But let me just tell you this, uh, power is not as crazy as you think. Again, you're working with power every day, all day long. In fact, we love power so much, we have backup supplies. We're never going to be without power. It really makes no sense when you begin to understand the power of God is not some unbridled power. It's not, you know, the guy on the action film that's sparking the, the jumper cables together, you know, trying to, trying to shock you and get, the Holy Spirit's never going to do that, ever, ever going to do that. The Holy Spirit's always trying to proportion the power to, to, to whatever the context is, all right? So let me say that broadly, and then we'll look at these three uh, truths about spiritual power, and then we're finished. So truth number one, kind of laid a foundation. There's a lot more in the book, but truth number one, the Holy Spirit's power is absolutely essential. In fact, let me tell you how essential it is. Uh, if you're following Christ, we call ourselves Christians. Do you know that word was only used three times in the New Testament, and none of it are for the reasons you might think. This wasn't something where, you know, the apostles got together and say, what should we call ourselves? What's kind of a really good handle, you know, so everybody would say, ah, oh, that's cool, let's do that. This term Christian was given to Christ followers by secular people, and it was a derogatory term. 
It literally meant Jesus freaks. People that were fanatical. It comes from the Greek word Christos, which is where we get the word Christ, not Jesus' last name, but his title. And it literally means the empowered one or the authorized one. And the reason that these Christ followers were given the tagline Christian, because not only did they embrace the principles and the values that Jesus taught, but they were demonstrating the lifestyle that Jesus lived. They were somehow pulling off things that were so far beyond the natural understanding, they were living supernaturally. Sometimes that supernatural demonstration was like, what in the world is that? But it always had a wonderful result. Somebody was healed, somebody's life was changed, and lots of other people say, man, if God can do that, then yeah, where do I, where do I sign up? Because I need that. But most of the time, it was almost unnoticeable. It was a transformation that was happening in people's lives day by day by day by day. And in spite of the political pressure, in spite of all the persecution, in spite of the government trying to shut them down. In fact, later on, in spite of them being rounded up and killed and martyred and tortured, they just kept getting more and more confidence, more full of joy, more full of excitement because there was a supernatural energy in here. It was a supernatural power that was somehow helping them to be confident beyond their natural courage. If it was them, they would have said, yeah, uh, this is too weird, man, I'm out. In fact, at one point they did, Peter and John were beaten for preaching the gospel and they came back and said, okay, if we're gonna keep doing this, we need you to pray that God would give us boldness, that the Holy Spirit's power would embolden us from the inside because truthfully, we don't ever wanna go through that again. But he did. And they went right back and kept preaching in the name of Jesus and it authenticated their life. Listen to me, that's what it means to be a Christian. But today, Christian is just kind of a religious category that we check and there are so many Christians that are living the life as a Christian with no power. Now this is serious enough that about 75 years after, after the book of Acts, Paul writes to, the, to, the, to young Pastor Timothy and he said, hey, listen, this is gonna, as you get to the last days, you're gonna see more and more Christians that want to be you know, followers of the values and the truths and, and they wanna be really super nice and really super loving, but they don't wanna have anything to do with the power and you need to stay away from those people. Don't, don't take my word for it. Listen to 2 Timothy 3.5. It says they, you can go back and look at the context, Christians will act religious, but they will reject the power. They're not rejecting the power of God. They're still the ones raising their hand. Oh no, he'll do exceedingly and abundantly far above anything we could ever come up with. They believe that. But the next part says, according to the power that works in you, yeah, we don't, we don't do that. We don't do any of that power stuff. He said they're gonna be, act religious, but they'll reject the power that could make them godly. He said, stay away from people like that. Paul doesn't use that statement very often. He's usually saying, no, you're salt, you're light, right? Run in there, preach the word, you know, confront evil. And, but this time he says, no, no, when you see those people, stay away. Because they're, they're just gonna water you down. And you'll live a nice, sweet little religious life, off grid, no power, watching the enemy just pummel your life in every area. And you're, you're praying, oh, I, just, I need some help. Or please, 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 please do something. But you don't understand power. So you're living in a fully, fully wired house. Could flip a couple of switches and power would come on. But because you've made a decision, yeah, but that's just weird. We don't get into all that power stuff. Then you're unarmed. 
And this is exactly what Jesus was saying. All right, three quick truths, because I'm, I'm already out of time. Three quick truths. Truth number one, the Holy Spirit's power is essential. I've already covered it over and over. Jesus is adamant about this. Adamant, adamant, adamant about this. And, uh, and, and you, can't, you just can't get around that. The word power, no matter where it's used in, in the context that you have in your workbook about this, it's the word dunamis. And it literally is where we get the word dynamite. And it's an explosive power, an eruptive power. And so it, it's really important that we, it's a power that can make a difference. But, but you're not afraid of, of explosive eruptive power as long as it's controlled. I mean, we all drove vehicles here with hundreds of horsepower in the engine. And either you had a smart key or you had one of the, you know, the old fashioned, you got to stick it in and you got to go through all the work of turning it and all oh, it's exhausting. You know, you got to turn that key. And, but when you do something sparks and there's explosions and valves start going up and down and you harness hundreds of horsepower that literally can do a lot of damage, but because you know how to control it, you don't even think about it. You just thank the Lord that, you know, that you've got a good vehicle and it takes you wherever you want to go. Supernaturally, 60 to 70, some of you probably more, miles an hour on an interstate, faster than you could get there without that power, you need the power. So when we talk about explosive power, you can think about unbridled explosive power if you want to, but that's not what the Bible is talking about. Every time the word dunamis is used, it always carries a reference either strongly implied or certainly in, in the meaning of this particular word of an energy or a strength that will exceed your natural capability. This is something, it's like a power tool, right? I can't cut this tree down by myself. Give me that chainsaw and power that thing up and zoop, we're right, right down it. It's something that will ex exceed. But here's something else that most Christians don't understand. Every time the word dunamis is used, it's always referencing a power that is designed to be contained in something. So think of a battery. There's power in that battery, but the power in that battery was designed to be in that particular package, that particular container, and used for the specific purposes that that battery is for. And so we're all, we're not talking about unbridled power, we're talking about power that was designed to be in a container. And here's the last one that is just almost fun to, to talk about. Throughout the New Testament, Christians, people, are the preferred containers of God's dunamis power. Not the only ones. You can see in the Bible where God used a donkey. You can see in the Bible where, you know, where God used other means and he, he, you know, power will be infused into bread and fish. And you can see in the Bible where the, God's power moves into something, but the preferred, by and large, the preferred container for the supernatural power of God is a person, is a born-again believer. This is what God's called for. So listen to me. It's essential New Testament power is absolutely essential. That's why God said, uh, why Jesus commanded, don't leave without it. He also said in Acts chapter one, verse eight, he said, when you go to Jerusalem, the Holy Spirit's gonna come, but he said, you will receive power. This is really important to understand this word receive comes from a word, uh, the Greek word lambano, and it literally means not just to sit there and say, well, if you wanna give it to me, okay, I won't fight you. But the word lambano literally means to reach out and take something intentionally and pull it back towards yourself. And here's what you need to understand. The Holy Spirit will endue you with power, right? But he won't endue anybody with power that's not reaching out to take it first. So if you're sitting there waiting for the Holy Spirit, well, he knows where to find me. If he wants to endue him with power, then he can do it. That's not what the Bible teaches. It is a cooperative partnership 
You have to begin to understand what spiritual power is available, how spiritual power works, just at a basic level, so that you're not afraid of it anymore, so that you say, yes, sir, I need that, and you reach out and you take that power, and when you reach out to take it, the Holy Spirit will infuse you, will endue you with that power. This is what he promised that would happen, and in Acts, in Acts chapter 2, we find 120 believers who were at least really passionately curious about it, who gather in an upper room, and they're waiting just like Jesus said, and they're a little distracted, but then they finally get in focus, and the Holy Spirit comes, and every single one of them weren't just you know, sitting there in power, just, just kind of came, but the Bible said they received it. They reached out when the Holy Spirit came, and they received. They took hold of that power and pulled it in, and interesting, you can go do your own Bible study, but from that point on in Acts chapter 2 through the rest of the New Testament all the way to the end of Revelation, the New Testament assumes that a Christ follower has been empowered. Not, not just that he's wired for it, or she, but they've actually got the connection. There's a couple of times, like in the book of Acts, I don't remember the chapter, in, when, uh, when they meet the, the, the believers at Ephesus, and they said, hey, that's great, I'm glad you're Christians. Now, have you guys been empowered by the Holy Spirit? And they're like, we didn't even know what the Holy Spirit was. Oh, we need to take care of that right now. And they got him connected to the power. But every single other place, when you're talking about the power of God, the promises of God, and the victory of God, it's always assuming that you've been endued with power, that you've reached out and you've taken it. That's why the Bible says, to him who believes, the gospel in Romans 1 is the power of God to complete salvation in every area of your life to those who believe. Not to everybody. But for those who believe and reach out and say, yeah, I need that, and you pull that in, then, then it comes on, and that's exactly what we read. Here's truth number two. Let me give it to you lightning fast. Truth number two, the Holy Spirit regulates his power. Listen to this verse in Ephesians chapter six. It says, finally, my brethren, this is Paul writing about power again. Uh, it's about 60 years after uh, the book of Acts. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. When you look at those three little words, in, in, and his, all of them are, uh, are Greek terms that express a locative tense, which means that the power that he's talking about can only be found one place. And it's in a personal relationship with the Holy Spirit himself. It's not a formula. It's not something you can go to a conference or somewhere and tap into some kind of source somewhere. It's only found in a relationship with the Holy Spirit himself. And it's important you know that because when you know that, you know that the Holy Spirit regulates his power. Quick and a clumsy example. When my wife Debbie needs a jar opened in the kitchen, she'll call and she'll say, sweetheart, can you come open this jar? And, and she does it for two reasons. Number one, because she knows I will happily come open the jar. I love to be the hero. And so it's like, absolutely, you can't do that? Come here, who, who does that jar think it is? You know, and I'll, of course, I, I'll get that open for you right now. And, and I'll happily do that. But the second reason that she, she asked me to come open the jar, because she knows me, and she knows that whatever I do to open the jar will be appropriate to the context. She's not going to say, honey, will you come open the jar? And I come leaping over the couch, Rawr! you know, get the big hammer and I smash the pickle jar and glass goes everywhere. There you go. The jar, show that jar. It's not going to get the best of us. I come and I bring the appropriate power to that particular context. Listen to me. When you understand that the power of the Holy Spirit comes from the person of the Holy Spirit, You'll never be afraid again. This is the one Jesus said was the comforter. 
was the counselor, was the trusted friend, was the one that would peel back and show you every truthful situation that you need so you can move forward. You have to understand that. A couple of things that people make a mistake. Listen to me. There's nowhere in the Bible that tells us to seek or chase the power of God. Christians all over the place chasing power, power, power. We want power. We want to see demonstration of power. You won't find that anywhere in the Bible. Nowhere. We're supposed to be passionate about the power, but we're not supposed to chase the power. Listen carefully. Chase the person of the Holy Spirit and the power comes with it. The power will always be whatever is appropriate to what you need. And here's the second thing. Listen, don't ever confuse the power of the Holy Spirit with the reaction of what happens around whatever, whatever's moving. People, ooh, ah, did you feel that? That was the power of God. Maybe, maybe. We're gonna study this. Bible says, here's some ways you know whether it's the power of God or it's power, all right, but it's not the power of God. Don't ever confuse that, and I'll tell you why. Because the Holy Spirit oftentimes moves subtly. You don't see it happen, but he's transforming deep, long-lasting things in people's lives. And you didn't feel a big chill down your spine, and, and you didn't have that woo, that woo moment with the Lord. Don't get me wrong. Those things are great, and they happen from time to time. But don't confuse the power of the Holy Spirit with whatever the reaction is. The Holy Spirit knows how to perfectly contextualize. Here's the last one. Truth number three. Spiritual power must must, must, must be activated by you. We've already gone over that word received, that we have to receive the power. You have to reach out and take it. You can't just be like, well, well, if you want to, you have to reach out and take this power. And I want to bring you right back to Ephesians 3.20 and we're done, I promise. It says, now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, listen to this, according to the power that works in us. Those two words according to is one small little Greek word, but it's so important because this Greek word calibrates. He's already said this is is the power of the Holy Spirit that can absolutely overcome any obstacle, that there's nothing impossible, that there's nothing that can't miraculously just line itself up with God's perfect, wonderful plan. The power is not the issue exceedingly, abundantly more power than you can possibly understand. The issue is what's calibrating that power. And the word kata in the Greek, according to, means that you become the calibration. So you've got all this power at your disposal. You got, you got a dial that says one to 10. And if you only got that click to one and you need about a five to even move any situation around, I don't know what to say. This is what the Bible says. We're the ones calibrating this. God's plenty of power and it's at your disposal. But if we don't know how to move and we don't know how to activate that power, then I'm telling you, we'll suffer through situations. We'll watch people that we love get pummeled and punished and and pulled this way and that way. And meanwhile, our hearts are ripping out and we're wringing our hands. God, please help, please help, please help. According to the power that works in you. This is what the New Testament is teaching us. This is why Jesus commanded. This is why every one of the epistles backs it up and says, oh yeah, listen, it's essential that you understand some things about the basic power of God. And I promise you, you stay with me in this teaching and you're gonna understand it. You, you may choose not to participate. Most people don't, by the way. Most people, when they understand it, say, oh, I'm all about that. I'm in, I'm in. Most people are leaning back because they don't understand but we're gonna fix that because the word of God gives us entrance, right? The entrance of the word brings light, turns the lights on. 
and helps us not to stumble around in the darkness anymore. Let me end, uh, finish with this question. And it's rhetorical, don't raise your hand. When you begin to think about power, the power of the Holy Spirit being exceedingly, abundantly, far above anything that you would ask or need, means you never max it out, right? And you think about the power of things that we have in our everyday life, how fast your car goes. You only, you only make it go 50, 60, 70, maybe a little more, you know, but then miles an hour. But it can go a lot faster than that. But you, you regulate it to this much. When you start thinking about the power that we have that gives us the ability to do things beyond our natural thinking, and you relate that back to spiritual power, how many of you would raise your hand because immediately you can think of two or three areas, oh, I need more power. Finances, marital closeness, intimacy, raising your kids, making sure we have wisdom for the future. How about your own personal fulfillment and joy? Not living in fear of the future, not living in, in discouragement anymore, but living a life that every day you say, man, this is the day the Lord's made. I'm gonna rejoice. I'm gonna be glad in it. How many of you needs more power? Let's ask the Lord to begin to open our heart. Any confusion, let's ask him to begin to open our heart and say, God, help me to understand this because I was meant to live in power. And as I understand it, I'm going to step into that. Holy Spirit, you're the teacher. I did my best to roll some things out there today. The workbook will give them a little more, but ultimately, Holy Spirit, you're the one who opens our minds, who renews our, us to understand the things of the Lord. And I'm asking you in Jesus' name, supernaturally, use that power that's already been with them or maybe even in them. Use that power, Lord, to help them to see and understand. And Lord, move us as individuals and as a church to be a powerhouse for you. Let the dark world look around and say, what's that glowing light over there? And recognize, oh, that's the people of Lakeshore that God has called to walk in the power of a living God, to demonstrate and authenticate that Jesus is alive and Jesus is the Lord over every situation. And Lord, as you begin to do that, we're gonna do the best we can with your courage to follow you and to begin to let the power of God move in our life. We thank you for that today. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Hey, stand to your feet and let's respond in one more song to the Lord. And as we do, respond to the Holy Spirit today. Let him know something you've caught in the lesson and what you want to be different in your life. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for more messages. If you like what you're hearing, share it with your friends. For more content from Lakeshore and information on services, check us out at lakeshorecf.com.